That's right, it's time once again for Wrestling With Theology. I am Pastor Doug Minton, your host, and the one who will guide you today as we are in episode 70. And it is also the fifth Wednesday of the month, so we are looking at the Wrestle Extravaganza. This time we are looking at AWA Super Clash. When the old wrestling fans think of Super Clash, usually they think of two things. A, either they only think of Super Clash 85, the first and best one of them, or they remember the final unification match between Jerry Lawler and Kerry Von Erich, combining the AWA and WCWA World Heavyweight titles. Those are actually two different cards. But I'm going to go through all four Super Clashes. I won't go through every match and give a great review, but I'm going to pick out a handful of the matches. I have in the episode description a link to the playlist for each of the first three Super Clashes. I could find every one of the matches on the card on YouTube and got them into the playlist in order. However, I could only find one match from Super Clash 4. It was that horrible. I actually think the entire gate was only about 15K. That had about 2,000 people in the stands, if I remember right. So first, we're going to look at the first and greatest of the Super Clash cards, Super Clash 85. September 28th. 1985, Comiskey Park in Chicago, 13 big matches as Vern Gagne had worked together to get a ton of people there and several promotions together. Vern Gagne got a ton of promotions together. As you had the AWA, you had World Class, you had Jim Crockett, you had the IWA. You had All Japan, all letting their championships be handled there in Comiskey Park. This card was huge. 13 big matches that really would have been classified as high card matches all the way across the board. It started off with... Mr. Electricity Steve Regal defending his AWA World Light Heavyweight Championship against Brad Rangans. That was a really great match between these two guys. I don't, I don't remember much of Brad Rangans before I started Green Friday Wrestling, but I do remember Mr. Electricity Steve Regal and how upset I was when Lord Steven Regal showed up and WCW, and not being the same guy. Steve Regal made it a thing to be a light heavyweight in pro wrestling. He was one of the epitomes of a light heavyweight. And Regal wins that match, but it was a very good fought match. Then we move on to the AWA World Tag Team Championship. Match number 10 on the card. And two of the greatest tag teams ever in the history of wrestling. Brawling in Comiskey Park. As the Road Warriors defended their tag team titles against the fabulous Freebirds. 
Uh, this would be Hayes and Terry Gordy, as Buddy Roberts has already been on the card in the IWA World Heavyweight title match. Let me think about it for a second. A match between Hawk and Animal and Michael Hayes and Terry Gordy. I think probably the only greater brawling tag team match of any combination of this would have been the Road Warriors and Terry Gordy and Stan Hansen. And I'm sure that match probably happened too, but I have not seen one of those yet. But that was a brawl that ended up in a disqualification with the Freebirds getting disqualified, the Road Warriors keeping their title. And there were two main events for Super Clash 85. Both major world heavyweight titles on the card were up for grabs. The NWA World Heavyweight title and the AWA World Heavyweight title. And really, the matches should have been flipped, in my opinion. But this was Vern Gagne's card. It was in his territory. The AWA gets to be the second main event. But the first main event, the NWA World Heavyweight title, one of the classic matches between Ric Flair and Magnum TA. Truly, I believe this was really close to the time where they were figuring out at Jim Crockett Promotions that this Terry Allen guy could really be a good world heavyweight champion. Unfortunately, when they finally decided to get that to happen, he has his motorcycle accident and can't wrestle anymore. But Flair wins that match, but it is a classic Flair Magnum match. And then you have the AWA World Heavyweight title. Many things wrong with this match. Uh, first of all, the champion, Rick Martell. Really? I mean, the AWA was that desperate at one point in time to let Rick Martell be the World Heavyweight Champion? And then, in this match, they put him up against another guy who was World Heavyweight Champion, and I'm not necessarily sure that was one of AWA's best moves either, and that would be Stan the Lariat Hansen. Uh, but this one, the match is over almost before it starts, as they fight to a double countout in just about two minutes. It's, it was really, these guys started a brawl, they took it outside the ring, and they just decided, yep, you know, we're done. It was, yeah, that match for a world heavyweight title match at the end of a supercard. I mean, it got overshadowed by the NWA World Midgets title match between Little Tokyo and Little Mr. T. I mean, when a, and nothing against midget wrestling, I do enjoy midget wrestling and wish that there were more of it, just like I wish there were more actual women's wrestling. But when a midget match outshines a world heavyweight title match, that's supposed to be between two of the best, the best. Yeah, no, that match was a joke. So we move about a year and a half later. Ganya decides he wants to try it again, and he gets 
nothing. Jim Crockett wants nothing to do with it. Fritz von Erich wants nothing to do with it. Giant Baba wants nothing to do with it. So it's just AWA. And there's a decent lineup there. As we go May 2nd, 1987 from the Cow Palace in San Francisco. Uh, the two biggest of the seven matches on the card are the women's heavyweight title, yep, women's heavyweight, the women's title match and the world heavyweight title match. Uh, two of the best women's wrestlers of the 80s and maybe of all time. Sherry Martell defending the title against Medusa Michelli. Uh, these two had a feud throughout most of the late 80s. And I believe this is very early in that uh, feud because Medusa gets a name for herself in this, and that's why she ends up over in WWF as Alundra Blaze. Really? Really? But, you know, that's Vince doing his thing over there. But that was a very good match there. And I do believe the second best match on the card. Only outdone by the World Heavyweight title match. A true classic of what AWA had been at its peak in 1987. And truly, AWA was at its peak at this point. And from here, it ends up going downhill. Because, yes, you've already had the defection of Hulk Hogan and a few others, but this is where the mass exodus starts after this. But this is the key pivotal moment, the passing of the baton from one generation to the next, as Kurt Henning wins the World Heavyweight title from Nick Bockwinkle. Bockwinkle had been Ganya's guy ever since he retired. He, Ganya is the one who passed on the title to Bachwinkle for the next generation. And then Bachwinkle was to give it to Henning. And then Henning to whoever was going to be the next guy in probably the late 90s, early 2000s. But AWA does not make it anywhere close to that. And Kurt Henning moves on to WWF as Mr. Perfect. But this was an awesome match. And one where really the character of Bachwinkle comes out. Because he is consistently checking over to the timekeeper's table, asking how much time has gone by. Part of it is because he just wants to get done with the match. Because Henning's a better wrestler. Secondly, he's you know at the end of his career. He... A this match lasted 26 minutes. He didn't have quite the stamina to do that anymore. But it's also just a factor for him as to be able to stretch out the match. Make it more enjoyable for the fans. Because yes, as a kid watching this, I remember just chuckling at him that he had to check to see if it was close to the time limit yet. So he could go home. Now we get to a card that gets close to what Super Clash 85 was. And this was strictly world-class 
versus AWA. This is Super Clash 3, December 13th, 1988. The UIC Pavilion in Chicago. Another card with 12 big matches on it. Again, blending the AWA and the WCWA as they tried to bring out the whole idea of Pro Wrestling USA and make it something that rivaled WWF or Jim Crockett's uh, fledgling uh, WCW, which hadn't quite changed its name yet. But so 12 matches at UIC Pavilion and some of the, some great wrestling from the 80s there. As you have Jeff Jarrett defending the world-class light heavyweight championship against Eric Embry. This was the beginning of the Eric Embry Skandar Akbar feud that would lead to the WCWA merging with Memphis into the USWA. And that took most of 89 and 90 to do. But Embry wins that title, and that's basically where the feud starts because Skandar Akbar's big light heavyweight was a guy named Cactus Jack Manson. And for those of you wrestling fans who only remember Mick Foley as Mankind and bulked up as Cactus Jack, you can't visualize him as a 210-pound wrestler. Watch the match uh, on this card. He's in a six-man tag team match that he was, I think he was, almost as good as a light heavyweight as he was then as Cactus Jack in WCW. Move on a little bit later. The Texas heavyweight title is up for grabs as Iceman King Parsons defends against Brickhouse Brown. Two of the greatest African-American wrestlers in pro wrestling history. I dare anybody to argue with me over it. Now you can bring in guys like Booker T, Bobo Brazil, Special Delivery Jones, Rocky Maivia, The Rock. But really, these two guys were solid wrestlers and had pretty decent gimmicks. No offense to Dwayne Johnson, but The Rock was almost all gimmick. It was not much to it. But he had job security because his father and his grandfather were all in WWF's Hall of Fame. His entire family, because he, his mother was part of the Anoi, uh, fa- uh, what is it, the Anoai family uh, of the Samoans, so Fatu and Samu and all them. Uh, so he was connected for life. He had no problem. It was just his gimmick as The Rock. Long digression aside, a great match between these two solid wrestlers. Then you have one of those matches that was just a great 
match and combined a couple of different feuds because you have a title versus title match as you have both the world tag team titles on the line as well as the women's title on the line as opposing sides. So you have Wendy Richter and the Top Guns, Ricky Rice and Derek Dukes, up against Bad Company, Paul Diamond and Pat Tanaka, and Medusa Michelli. Richter was the women's champion. Bad Company were tag team champions. If Michelli pinned uh, Richter, she would be the women's champion. If one of the Top Guns pinned one of uh, members of Bad Company, they were the tag team champions. And honestly, right now, I, it's been a long time since I've seen this match, so I don't remember how it goes down. And if Richter defends her title by pinning Medusa, or if we have new tag team champions. I guess I'll have to go back and watch it uh, by the time this airs. And now we have the two matches that are what characterized Super Clash 3 as one of the great supercard of the 80s. These are the two matches that 30 plus years later are still talked about. The first match is an Indian strap match between Wahoo McDaniel and Manny Fernandez. There are several versions of video of Manny Fernandez talking about this match uh, later on. This is one of those violent matches, as strap matches usually were. And Wahoo was a master of them. But you've also got the Raging Bull, and they're tied up next to him. So this match was an awesome match. And it continued Wahoo's legacy of having never lost an Indian strap match. And then we have the match that everyone remembers. If I remember right, this is the fourth attempt at unifying the AWA and world-class world heavyweight titles. And the first three all ended in controversy. I don't remember the exact order, but there was always something where either Vern or Fritz could get out of it. Including Nashville, Tennessee, I think was the third one, which was a couple of months before the before Super Clash 3, that Kerry Von Erich pile drives Lawler gets disqualified because, well, they're in Nashville and pile drivers are illegal in Tennessee. So, therefore, he loses the match. But under world class rules, you can lose the title on a disqualification. So, Lawler had the title for all of like 20 minutes before Fritz took it back from him. But finally, they apparently worked everything out for Super Clash. And it was there that Lawler and Von Erich finally got the titles unified. And then Lawler gets stripped of the AWA title in a couple of months, where then it becomes the unified world title for the Memphis. But this, out of the four, this was probably the second best behind the one in Nashville. And now we move to April 8th, 1990. St. Paul Civic Center. 
2,000 people in attendance at most. Seven matches on the card, and it's the skeleton crew that's left of the AWA. Oh, there's still some big names on this card. You still have Brad Rangans and DJ Peterson. You still have Baron Von Roschke and Colonel De Beers. You've got Tully Blanchard, John Nord. You've got Paul Diamond and Mike Enos and Wayne Bloom. But really the only match that really mattered, uh, the only match I can find on YouTube for this card was the World Heavyweight title match. The final changing of the World Heavyweight title before AWA collapsed as Larry Zabisco won the title from his former tag team partner, Mr. Saido. And to further help this out and help you understand why now Zabisco was being tacked as the guy, since Henning was already gone, is that Larry Zabisco is Vern Gagne's son-in-law. So, again, another guy with job security. But Vern decided to throw a little kink into this, as he made a special referee for the match which was Nick Bockwinkle. He figured he couldn't put it in, he couldn't put himself in there, so he put Bockwinkle in there as the next previously great World Heavyweight Championship. And this was a good match. It goes on for about 16 minutes, and you know, it's for World Heavyweight title matches, it's an average. But... Superclass shows the decline of the AWA. In 1985, it was considered one of the big three in North America with Jim Crockett, with World Wrestling Federation, but it was number three. 87, it's like, all right, we're getting closer again, but... Now everybody's wanting to branch off and try to take themselves national. For Super Clash 3, we have the AWA almost on its last legs as it's trying to work out the arrangement it's been having for almost three years at that point with World Class, trying to finally combine all of that together and making Dallas another subsite of the AWA, like Memphis, like Winnipeg, like Indianapolis and Bend. But again, it didn't much matter in the end because within a couple of years, it was completely demolished. But yes, Super Clash was a great idea, especially in 85. Bring out some of the best. And this was not the first time that a lot of the major promotions had gotten together to throw a big, huge card and feature their wrestlers in different places around the nation. But Vern wanted so much more with it, but nobody wanted to work with him. And I'm not necessarily sure from all the reading and listening I've done to podcasts about it that I really blame anybody because Vern had his way he wanted to do things. Fritz had his way he wanted to do things. Crockett had his way he wanted to do things. 
Watts had his way that he wanted to do things. And when you have so many people trying to be the top boss, you get nowhere. And that's eventually what happened with Super Clash, is it just showed how it went downhill. That's all for this week. We'll get back to the theology next week as we get back into the monthly rotation in the Apostolic Fathers. Until next time, this is Pastor Doug Minton wishing you God's blessings as you wrestle with theology. Amen.